Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Numbers. That's the fourth book in the Bible, fourth book in the Old Testament. And we're at chapter 15. So we're going to begin with verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, so I'm not going to go and repeat again and again what we say about these verses that start out, these chapters that start out with this, other than to say, I recommend you compare that to the fourth book in the New Testament, John chapter uh, the book of John and chapter 1 and chapter 5 and compare that with what this says and make sense of it however best you can as a Christian. I lean into what it says in the New Testament, but believe what you will. So we have what's being identified as the Lord. So some object of worship uh, communicating Moses. That's the Ten Commandments, Moses. Verse 2, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you've come into the land, you are to inhabit which i'm giving to you so this is um the people uh the children of israel they're a people group of people who were just emancipated from slavery in africa heading toward what we call or what they're going to call the promised land what is in modern times known as palestine or israel and um this is a sudden change up a switch for um, what we just read in chapter 14 the same people were just condemned to the death penalty and um, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because they got sassy with the same entity identified as the Lord so just like that it seems now they're being given more commandments of how to behave while they're when they get to the promised land which they were just barred from so I have to I guess these are commandments for the younger generation that are going to be allowed to make it to that promised land and not for all the other people uh, 600,000 men alone uh, not to mention the women and children who were condemned to that death penalty and barred from entering the promised land verse 3 and you make an offering by fire to the Lord a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering or in your appointed feast to make a sweet aroma to the Lord from the herd or the flock. So they've been given these sort of commandments before in how to make their so-called burnt offerings. And when it says burnt, don't think that that means it's burnt to a crisp. It sounds a lot more like something like a barbecue because uh, the people eat it. Well, namely the elites eat it, the priests and the ones making the sacrifice it's it serves as food for them for the most part some of it is like i always say like i've said again and again completely consumed by the fire but much of it the rest of it is for the priests verse four then he who presents his offering to the lord shall bring a grain offering of one tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one fourth of a hen of oil so even though we just read how they were condemned to death and the Lord basically went off on them for being um, unfaithful, now suddenly it's right back to the routine of telling them what it is they're supposed to bring for offerings, all sorts of different food objects that they're supposed to bring, whether it's animals or flour or oil. We're going to read again and again what it is that they're supposed to bring as offerings, even though they just got condemned to wander in the wilderness. Verse 5, and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering you shall prepare with the burnt offering or the sacrifice for each lamb. So it really sounds like a feast being set up for the priests that the people have to make offerings of whenever they have to make these sort of different offerings that they've been ordered to make whether for whatever occasion it may be. So it really does sound more like enrichment of the religion rather than anything the Lord's actually going to partake in since, uh, uh, like I said, it's not burnt to a crisp and the most of it is for the priests to partake in and have for themselves from the livestock to the wine to the flour. But we'll just read it as it says, verse 6, Or for a ram you shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with one-third of a hen of oil. So it sounds like recipes that are being given to the people that they need to make sure they follow when they make these different offerings to the Lord and with the middleman being the priest. It's not like they can just do these things at home, like they can cook it up at home and then burn it or bake it or roast it at home. They have to present it 
to the take it to the priest otherwise it already said it won't be accepted on their behalf verse 7 and as a drink offering you shall offer one third of a hen of wine as a sweet aroma to the lord so you can research yourself and see how much a hen is um could be a gallon could be a liter i don't know you can search it yourself and see but it's it's the quantity that's going to be that's required of the people to bring as their um wine offering for the drink offering that they make to the lord and we haven't read about the lord actually eating or drinking any of these things um with the people or separate from the people since the book of genesis when um one of the people sat down and ate with the lord it said and um so figure it out as best you can but again as a christian it doesn't it doesn't it it contradicts what we read in the new testament verse 15 and when i'm sorry verse 8 and when you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering or as a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a peace offering to the lord so now we've moved on to the next thing we we started with the rams now we're on to the bulls verse 9 then shall be offered with the young bull a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with half a hen of oil so the sort of brain bread offering the flour and oil that are offered when you make a, a offering of a bull as opposed to a ram verse 10 and you shall bring as the drink offering half a hen of wine as an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the lord so the sweet aroma to the lord again makes me think it's barbecue it's says it's for the lord to the lord but it's the priests who are going to actually be partaking in it meantime the people are eating manna the uh, bread that they find on the grass uh every morning they're not um necessarily partaking in all these different animals that are being slaughtered and roasted although they're taking care of the the lives the husbandry part of it the raising the animals feeding the animals and uh taking care of them in that sense um, but the people who are eating them, it seems, are the priests. And sometimes the people get to partake in the offering also. But generally, the people are eating the manna, which they've already said they're about sick of. They've had it with the manna, and they want some meat. And when they were granted meat, in just a couple of chapters ago, um, birds, they were granted quail. Um, it, it, by a miracle, according to the narrative, they were given poultry to eat. But... Uh, they sassed along the way in requesting the poultry so before they could even swallow the meat swallow the birds swallow the poultry uh, they were hit with a plague and many of them died so it seems that the lord that they're worshiping is very very temperamental to say the least verse 11 thus it shall be done for each young bull for each ram or for each lamb or young goat so it's laying out the um, the other offerings that have to be included when people make an offering of the lamb, the goat, the ram, or the young bull. Verse 12, according to the number that you prepare, so you shall do with everyone according to their number. So this sort of sounds like what it's talking about when when we went over the Passover offering, where it's um, one for each household, or if it's two, if, if, if there's if it's enough or if the other another household doesn't have enough to do it then it's shared with as many people like you and your neighbor make it as the offering to um um for that if i remember right for that offering then it's shared more communally than just house by house verse 12 according oops sorry read that one uh, verse 13 all who are native born shall do these things in this manner in presenting an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the lord so it's saying that these are regulations laid out for the um congregation native born people but also for the uh sojourners who are um are um traveling along with the congregation verse 14 oh here's the part about the sojourner and if a stranger dwells with you or whoever is among your among you throughout your generations and would present an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the lord just as you do so shall he do so don't read over what it says there throughout your generations so we've seen before where some of these are considered 
forever statutes, ordinances that people are supposed to abide by forever from generation to generation, it says. And yet, how many places do you know, houses of worship of any kind, that are still doing that? Whether, no matter what religion or faith they're going by as their label, how many do you know that are actually doing that? It sounds more like who would be actually still doing that are um, voodoo um, worshippers or witch doctors or Wicca type religions that do still offer animals, um, animal sacrifices and things like that. Not so much any church or synagogue, temple or mosque that I've ever heard of doing it. Although, like I've said before, I'm sure there are parts of the world where people do follow through with these same rituals in the name of this same religion. I just don't know about them. Verse 15, one ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. So again, it's throughout your generations, meaning if they were doing it back then, ordered to do it back then as an ordinance, an order, then you're supposed to be still doing it now if you're of this religion. And the way um, some... Um, Sex of this religion will do it now rather than make a sacrifice um by fire they'll sacrifice eating it meaning they won't eat it they'll um whether it's a lamb a goat a cow they just won't eat it and that's the way they sacrifice it rather than sacrifice it by fire that's not what it says to do that's not how it calls for it to be done um yet that's the way it's been interpreted in modern times for people to still make the sacrifice. So rather than sacrificing the life of the animal. They'll sacrifice eating it. Um, so uh, people believe what you want to believe. Verse 16. One law and one custom shall be for you. And for the stranger who dwells with you. So you can believe what you want to believe. But it's saying this is the same law and ordinance throughout your generation. So if they were told to do it like that back then. Just saying that, oh, we're going to do it this way now. That doesn't sound like it's being faithful to what's being ordered to me. But, um, again, people believe what they want to believe. Verse 17, again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 18, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land to which I bring you, so now there's more orders to the children of Israel, even though, uh, for when they get to the land, even though, like I said, they've already been barred from getting to that land. Every male 20 years old and above has been um, excluded from um, getting to the promised land and already told they've got a death sentence that they're going to that they're going to spend 40 years fulfilling wandering through the wilderness, even though they're only a few miles from um, where they were emancipated from where they're at now and then to the so-called promised land. They're only a few miles. It wouldn't have taken 40 years to get from one point to the other it wouldn't take 40 years now on foot to get from egypt to uh israel palestine the promised land now and yet the people are are sentenced to wander 40 years in the wilderness for being sassy verse 19 then it will be when you eat of the bread of the land that you shall offer up a heave offering to the lord so uh, again this must be laid out for the younger generation to let them know what it is they're going to have to do when they get there since the older folks aren't going to make it according to the sentence that was passed down and on them and when it says a heave offering i think that's the wave offering where you basically um it'd be like you're saying grace now um but you're actually taking the food and physically lifting it up like to the lord like Simba and the lion king not that he was going to get eaten but presenting it to the lord so in the same way presenting the offering in that way uh, to the Lord. Verse 20, not heaving like you're coughing, heaving, but like a wave offering. Verse 20, you shall offer up a cake of the first of your ground meal as a heave offering, as a heave offering of the threshing floor. So shall you offer it up. So again, it's not like the Lord is going to be sitting now eating these things, but instead you're making it an offering that has to pass through the priesthood that the priests are going to get and then in turn offer it up to the Lord and only a memorial portion is being burned up and the rest belongs to the priests. so you can see how this and the priests are surrounded by the congregation so in a way shielded from 
the outer elements of other nations that they're going to be encountering and protected in a way by the armies of the people that they've drafted as the army whether the people wanted it or not they've now been identified as the army and they're to surround the camp where the the priests are and the tabernacle meeting is and they're to move out first in ranks as they meet the different people that they're to encounter along the way so it really does sound a whole lot like it's set up to protect the elite just like uh, in modern times how religion and politics are set up to protect the richest one percent and at least in america everyone else has to sacrifice to make sure that that richest wealthiest one percent and even the wealthiest ten percent of that one percent are even more protected and sheltered and policies and laws and regulations are set up to keep it that way basically sacrificing the rest of society to make sure that minority is protected that's the most protected minority the only truly protected minority in the in the country um black people aren't protected like that poor people aren't protected like that veterans aren't protected like that women women aren't necessarily a minority anymore they're i think um by population they're probably about 50 50 maybe even outnumbering men um and that's just by um gender not by sex but even by sex i'm pretty sure women outnumber men now are male females outnumber males now to say it correctly um but either way they're not they weren't protected when they were the minority um and yet who is protected that one percent is extremely protected um, with more than money verse 21 of the first of your ground meal you shall give to the lord a heave offering throughout your generation so again that's a forever order that you're supposed to be doing that now so you're supposed to take the ground meal of your um threshing floor so if you're in agriculture and you're you um produce wheat or spelt or some other grain then you're supposed to make an offering of that to be faithful to this command throughout your generations meaning back then and till now you're supposed to still be doing that now how many places of worship do you know that still do that i haven't run into one verse 22 if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments which the lord has spoken to moses so now it's saying here's the consequences or here's what happens if you don't um do these different ordinances and observe them verse 23 all that the lord has commanded you by the hand of moses from the day the lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations so this is reiterating that this is something you're supposed to still be doing now if you're going to be living from genesis to revelation following all the different orders and commandments that are there uh, you can't possibly do that without contradicting each other like we said already the word being given to the lord uh, from the lord to moses is a, has a contradiction in itself from genesis to revelation but if you're going to say that you're going to thump your bible and follow every command in the bible then you're supposed to still be doing this even now it says throughout your generations uh, and if you don't verse 24 then it will be if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the lord with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the ordinance and one kid of the goats as a sin offering so i guess that's how you get a pass if you don't realize that you're um breaking these commandments by not offering up the bulls and rams and goats and lambs then um it seems then i guess one can just be offered for the entire congregation on their behalf as well as the um drink offerings and the rest of it um as a sin offering so maybe in that sense there is some religious order that's still keeping these ordinances somewhere in the world to make atonement for everyone else who's a part of the flock again i haven't run into that i haven't seen that advertised anywhere i haven't seen that even uh acknowledged anywhere that hey this religion is still doing that on behalf of everyone under the umbrella again i haven't seen lots of things so that doesn't mean it doesn't exist but if you've seen it please let me know i don't know of any place that's doing it 
Verse 25, so the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintended sin. So the priest, if, so again, there may be a priesthood that's still following this order to make atonement for all the Israelite people di diaspora that's been spread abroad throughout the world. There may very well be happening now. So I can't say it's not. It probably is, in fact, and it just isn't widely known. Um, and maybe in that sense, it is making atonement for everyone else who's under the umbrella. But again, if it is, I don't know about it. Never heard of it. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. Um, I have heard that in Syria that there is um, um, a sect of religion that still makes animal sacrifice offerings so maybe in that sense they are um and again i just don't know it verse 26 it shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of israel and the stranger who dwells among them because all the people did it unintentionally so if you didn't uh, the unintentionally part is sort of a, a i don't know because if you've read this and say you're thumping your Bible and doing it, then is it really unintentional or have you just decided you aren't going to do it? That's not unintentional. That's a conscious choice not to make these different animal sacrifices and things. Um, not unintentionally. Unintentionally would be if you didn't know that you're supposed to still be doing these things. But it says it from generation to generation that you're supposed to still be doing it. So you can't really say you didn't know that you're supposed to still be making these sacrifices. Um... That's not unintentional. Verse 27, And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So when it says he shall bring it, does it mean the priest is the one that's supposed to bring it? Or that the person who unintentionally sinned is supposed to bring it? Because if the person did it unintentionally, how does it come to their knowledge that they sinned? I guess once they realize they sinned, then they're supposed to take that female goat say for it so say for instance if they didn't realize they're supposed to still be following all these animal sacrifices and rituals then once they realize it they're supposed to somewhere find a female goat and take it to the priest that's active in that time so in modern times you're supposed to go to israel i guess the land palestine israel find a priest that's still making these animal sacrifices and take a female goat with you to make atonement for your sin and then other people will say well we're christians all of this was done away with with christ's blood on the cross that may be the case but jesus never said that jesus did say he came to fulfill the law not to destroy it so if these are forever uh forever commandments and ordinances why aren't you still offering these and in fact jesus gave an example of or uh, even told people at least once that they are to make a uh, animal sacrifice but not so much for um to um please god or anything like that but instead as a testimony to the religious order back then that a miracles happened and that they so they wouldn't be able to deny that jesus performed the miracle that someone was healed i think it was the leper that jesus told him to go um, offered a sacrifice that Moses commanded two turtle doves or two young pigeons I think is what it was so that's Jesus telling someone to make an animal sacrifice not oh don't worry about it once I go on the cross then don't worry about it it's all is done Jesus never says that um, another religion that arises after Christianity after the red letters of what Jesus has to say Catholicism namely I think does um go into um those sort of teachings but that's not anything jesus ever said along the way in his ministry verse 28 so the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally when he sins unintentionally before the lord to make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him so it's the priest that has to make that offering still so even if you realize some at some point that oh i'm supposed to still be making these animal sacrifices it's the priest that still has to offer it so even if you find that female goat to make the sacrifice you there must be a priest and the priests are very specific it can't be just someone who's in a religion that's cooked up or you know some other religion it has to be according to the ordinances a descendant of aaron or one of the levites i think one of those may be eligible to make 
the offering. So there's a lot of different things there that have to be met for it to count. Otherwise, I don't think it's going to count. If you're going to be following these orders, verse 29, you shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger who dwells among them. So it's one law for all, whether you're of the lineage or of the sojourners. Verse 30, but the person who does anything presumptuously, whether he's native born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people. So that goes to not anyone just being able to make the offerings. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to say I'm a Levite priest now and I'm going to make the fee the offering of that female goat for you. That's presuming that you have the authority to do that. That is considered a sin, uh, whether you're native born, say an Israelite or a stranger sojourning with the congregation. It's considered a bad thing, a reproach on the Lord. And it actually says you'll be cut off. So you'll be excommunicated if you presume to be the one to be able to make those offerings. Verse 31, because he's despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. So if you presume to try and do any of those duties that are laid out for the priests or Levites, then you actually end up getting cut off from the congregation. Verse 32, now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness... They found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. So, uh, that doesn't sound like it'd be a big deal, does it? Yet, you know, there's a commandment against doing any work on that Sabbath day. So, let's see what happens. They're out looking and they see someone committing what they consider a sin. They're not focusing on their own sins and difficulties and what it is that they may be struggling with. But instead, they're looking for what other people are doing. And they found one. Let's see what happens. Verse 33. Those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. So it doesn't seem like it'd be a great offense at all. And yet that's what they've done. They found someone uh, offending in the um, orders that they've been given. And they've rounded him up and taken him to the leaders, Moses and Aaron. Moses is the Ten Commandments. Moses, Aaron is his brother, just in case I didn't cover that earlier or if this is your first time reading with us that's who it is and that's who what the that's who the people have rounded that person who's gathering sticks up did <clears throat> excuse me they put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him so this really does seem to be pointing to the religion being set up as a business as First, they've um, the leaders, the elites, have been the ones who've told the people what the law is. The same way your district may tell you what the laws are. Then they've also been set up as the law enforcement so that they can go around and catch people who are breaking the law. The same way in modern times, there's the police force that goes around and sees who's breaking the laws. And in, <clears throat> excuse me, and in the same way, the priests are exempt from following those laws. We read about that in the New Testament in the Gospels where Jesus points out how the priests profane the laws from the showbread to the other things that they've laid out for the people to follow, but they're considered blameless. Um, so in the same way in modern times, the law enforcement will do things like there was an, a, a police officer who was just recently, I can't remember the state, you can search it yourself and see, he was caught basically being a gun runner, an illegal gun runner, machine guns, putting them on the streets. And he didn't even get any jail time. He got something like three months of probation, probation for running machine guns, letting those some funneling them to the streets. I think it was either three months or either three years. Either way, all he got was probation. He didn't get any jail time. He didn't get any prison time. And it was something like 200 guns, at least machine guns. That he's putting out there on the streets. And the worst he got was lost his job and no jail time. Imagine anyone else being caught doing that. You know the outcome wouldn't be the same. And yet, it's the same thing that we're reading here. The priests set up the law. They've set up the law enforcement. And they've also got the penalties for the people who break the law. So now they found someone gathering sticks, which breaks their law of doing no work on the Sabbath. 
They've rounded them up and taken them to the law enforcement. And now they're waiting to see what's supposed to happen, what sort of punishment is to be passed down as a judgment for breaking that Sabbath law. So they put them under guard. So it'd be just like being put in jail to see, <clears throat> excuse me, what the outcome will be, what's going to be the sentence. Verse 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So now you see, does that sound like the Lord God Almighty who gives life saying that now, and it's the same Lord who we saw strike out at the people for being sassy and strike them down, burn them with fire, uh, put a plague on them. But now suddenly someone who's gathering sticks is also sentenced to the death penalty, but not by the same Lord, but instead the congregation is the one who's been um, uh, chosen to stone the person to death for gathering sticks. That's the sentence that the person is getting, according to the narrative from the Lord. Verse 36, so as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones and he died. So you see someone getting the death penalty for gathering sticks on the Sabbath, on the wrong day of the week gathering sticks cost them their life yet like i said before dinah being raped didn't cost them the rapist their life and at least it didn't cost the rapist their life by the hand of the lord the lord didn't strike out at all when that happened at all how can that possibly be a lord who sees everyone as equal how can that possibly be the lord god almighty that just doesn't seem consistent at all and it seems like overkill to kill someone for gathering sticks. But it's how it reads, so let's keep reading. Oh, it's going to really get really good now. Verse 37, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, So you have more conversation with the Lord. And look at what this conversation is about. Talk about trivial, or at least seemingly trivial. 38, speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. And to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners the lord is concerned with how you your clothes now fashion design the clothes the lord is a fashionista making sure you have tassels on your clothes that's what the lord is focusing on after just having someone stoned to death for picking up sticks now the lord is suddenly concerned with making sure you have tassels on your clothes tassels like you would get on your hat when you're graduating from high school now suddenly you have to make sure that's on the corners of your garments throughout your generations so again so if they were doing it ordered to do it back then you're supposed to still be doing that now you're supposed to make sure tassels are on your clothes throughout your generations so again and there has to be a blue thread in the tassels too don't forget that that's what the lord god almighty that's what the universal lord of all the world all creation is focused on making sure you have tassels on your clothes and that there's a blue thread in the tassels it's how I read, so let's keep reading. Verse 39, And you shall have the tassel, that you may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry, to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So it's saying, <laughs> harlotry not as far as prostitution, but harlotry as far as unfaithfulness, so that you don't hold around with other doctrines or religions so that you remember the different things that have been commanded you here that's what the tassels are to serve for so how many people do you know who claim to be of this religion that are walking around with tassels on their clothes again i don't see anyone wearing tassels at all except for graduation time um and yet it's saying it's a forever ordinance throughout your generations you're supposed to still be doing it and you're supposed to still be doing it as a reminder of all these different orders commandments that have been given out here thousands of years ago and yet again i don't see anyone doing these at all no matter what religion they are but again i haven't seen everything so obviously some people may still be doing this i just don't see it happening and if people are again thumping their bible saying they're living by everything in the bible from genesis to revelation why aren't they doing that why aren't they why don't you see people walking around with tassels on their clothes it really doesn't seem like it could possibly be from the Lord God Almighty. Yet, it's how it reads, so let's keep reading. And that you may remember and do all my commandments, and be holy for your God. 
So the tassels are ordered to be do done even now, so that you can remember to um, all these other com all these commandments and be faithful to your God. And God is being translated from the word Elohim, whereas Lord is being translated from the word Jehovah or name Jehovah. Um, just as a footnote to you, so you don't overlook that with your readings here. Verse forty-one: I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I'm the Lord your God. So that tagline occurs again and again when sort these sort of seemingly trivial, uh, sometimes it, I won't say they're nonsensical, but they really seem kind of petty. That what you're supposed to focus on. Is stoning someone to death with stones if they're caught picking up sticks on the wrong day of the week. But also focus on making sure you have tassels on your clothes. And make sure there's a blue thread in the tassels. Does that really sound like what a universal God who has the whole world to tend to would be focused on? And then not only that, Jesus didn't affirm any of these things. Jesus, in fact, says life is more than food. And the body is more than clothing. And that we're not to be concerned with, and I'm paraphrasing this part, concerned with what you should eat what you should drink what you should wear the lord the lord jesus and that's who i consider lord um doesn't do uh, affirm any of these things in the gospels in the new testament in any part of his ministry for us christians thank god because it really really doesn't seem like something the great god almighty would be focused on yet it's how i read so that's how we read it and we read it, I say past tense, because that was the last verse of this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, I appreciate you reading along with me and hope it's a blessing for you. I thank you for joining me. God bless you for joining me and hope you'll join me again. Stay safe. God bless you and peace be with you. If you're interested in past readings, you can hear them here on this platform. Uh, Anchor, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an adult, you can read the red letter readings, the things Jesus had to say um, with me on my website. It's hungtgirl.com. Click on the links there, body, mind, spirit, and soul to get to know me better on how the red letters intertwine with the rest of my life and my paths uh, as a Christian. And um, feel free to help me out. You can make a donation here on these podcast platforms, become a subscriber. That helps me out. Or just enjoying the free content. Those all help me out, and I thank you for that. God bless you for that, and I'll see you next time. Peace be with you. We're going to do a top 10 countdown of the 10 topics that churches most confuse or use to deceive and lie to their uh, flock about, even though the Bible says the exact opposite. So we're going to do our top 10 list, beginning with, uh, we'll go start with the lighter ones starting with people say god is not the author of confusion for instance so let's see what the bible says at the very beginning in the book of genesis right it says this is god speaking if you're going to believe it's god saying come let us go down in there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech that's where the whole tower of babel uh story comes in where uh where clearly God is the original author of confusion. Why else would he say that if you're going to believe that's God? So that's just a light example of how churches will slide lies into the picture and confuse. And if you're not careful, you'll believe it. But that's just one example. If you look further uh, to, for instance, churches will talk, people will go around saying, oh, they don't have any regrets, uh, live a life without regrets, and don't concern themselves with anything about how they've done people and if they've done right or if they've done wrong. They go through life not thinking about the different things that have happened and the way they've treated people. And yet, that's a pretty bold statement since if, if you can go through life without regrets, you're doing something God wasn't even able to do. Since if you look back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, you'll see that even God himself appears. If you're going to believe this is God speaking, says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. 
but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here, if you're going to believe the Old Testament, you've got to believe this is God talking. And even God himself in the very first book of the Bible already faces regrets. So if humans are going around without regrets, you're doing something God didn't even pull off. So again, kudos to you. Uh, uh, realistically, you may want to consider your ways, though, actually. How in the world can you go through thinking that you're, you've accomplished something God wasn't even able to accomplish? But it's possible, if that's what you want to believe. But that's just one topic. If, if you want to go further, there's the next thing that churches like to lie to you about, and or maybe I should say mislead people about, uh, their flock about. It, it's truly lying, though. I mean, cause they, it's right there for you to read, but maybe they just don't read it. So, just to be sure, we'll go to the book of Leviticus now, uh, where it talks about the different food laws and things you're allowed to eat and not allowed to eat. So, if you go to Leviticus chapter 11, for instance, you'll see there's a laundry list of things that you can eat, cannot eat, aren't supposed to eat, can't touch, all sorts of things, from um, shellfish to pork. Uh, it's taking its time loading, but give it time. It should be up. Let's see. Uh, Leviticus. Oh, sorry. Maybe this would help. Oh, it's Leviticus chapter 11, though. While this loads, uh, you'll see for yourself this site trip sometimes. I'm not sure why. But let's see. Oh, it's loading. Just give it time. So anyway, in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 11, there's all sorts of things you can't eat. Um, like I said, whether it's shrimp and lobster, even though churches nowadays think that's just fine. They'll picket funerals of gay people or gay soldiers or even just straight soldiers uh, protesting, saying it's because of the acceptance of gay people. And yet... Uh, They'll forget all about the lobsters and shrimp and all the other sorts of things you're not supposed to eat also in favor of the things that are on their own hearts and on their own minds instead of what Jesus actually, what the Bible actually says. And I'm not sure why it's taking so long to load, but it's in Leviticus chapter 11. But if you don't want to take my word for it, let's see, maybe this will do better. see we'll go on to Genesis chapter 6 here we go alright so this is where we talked about the um, uh, Jesus God having regrets you see Sorry, I said six, but it's actually Genesis chapter. Oh, now we've got Leviticus now. Okay, so let's go with Leviticus. There we go. So, there's Leviticus. And you can see different foods and things permitted and forbidden. And I'm not going to read through them with you. Read through them now because um, I don't adhere to them anyway. But um, I don't believe this is God actually speaking. But if you're going to believe the Old Testament and that this is God speaking and rules laid down by God, then one, you have to believe that God changed his mind between what he just told us in Genesis and hear what he's telling us in Leviticus. And um, and that's not even all of it either, because it turns out it changes again once you get to the New Testament. But that's just an example. Um, that's the third example. So the fourth example would be uh, the death penalty. You, you know, people nowadays will walk around saying that the death penalty is totally righteous and something that should be done and even carried out swiftly as in you should shed the blood of the people who are guilty quick as if they don't know uh, the justice system is slanted against black people and that plenty of innocent people have been murdered through the death penalty it's uh, just state sanctioned murder but people will do that and they'll even have the nerve to cite the bible and yet if you look back to the very first murder mentioned in the bible um, 
uh, when Cain murders Abel. Cain is afraid that he's going to face the death penalty. And so he says, surely you've driven. He's saying him out from the face of the ground. He shall be hidden from God's face. He shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds him will kill him. So he's afraid of the death penalty. But what does the Lord say? And the Lord said to him, if you're going to believe this is God, therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold and the Lord set a mark on Cain lest anyone finding him should kill him so that's clearly God saying no it's not for people to uh, take the blood of someone else if even if they've committed murder you know even if it's the death penalty it's not for us to do but then again you if you keep reading it turns out that I guess God must change his mind a lot if you're gonna believe this is God because in the same book by the time you get to chapter 9 God's changed his mind again about the death penalty because if you see scroll down to chapter 6 uh, verse 6 I'm sorry uh, 5 and 6 better said surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast I will require it and from the hand of man from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed so um for he in the image of God he made man and that, we're going to get to that subject too but you see here just that quick now suddenly God has had a change of heart and it's okay to take your to take out carry out the death penalty on someone so I guess you have to choose which who is it you're going to believe which verse do you want to line up with your belief system uh, but that's again that's just the beginning there are all kinds of contradictions from Old Testament to New, but even from chapter to chapter, even within the same book as we've just read. But um, we'll keep going. The next subject, the fifth one, will be revenge. If you think about um, the Old Testament, what it says about revenge, we can go to Deuteronomy 19 and we'll scroll down to verse 21. And it talks about an eye for an eye. Let's see, here you go. Uh, you shall not pity. Life for life shall be for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So seems pretty clear. You, if somebody hurts you, you can hurt them back. And yet, um, if you go, if you're a Christian, then you you gotta know where I'm going with this. What Jesus actually says about revenge um, in Matthew chapter five. If we scroll down to verse thirty-nine, God, uh, Jesus. You're a Christian again. We call God. Uh, Jesus says, but I tell you, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, just like we just read. But Jesus says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So Jesus is saying, no, it's not for you to carry out revenge for yourself. Um, even though, like we said, we just read it, or you're going to believe that's God in the Old Testament talking. God said it's just fine to carry out revenge and do an eye for an eye. So, again, you have to choose. If you're a Christian, Jesus is who you're supposed to be listening to. And these are the letters, these letters in red mean they're quotes of Jesus, just in case you don't know. But we're not done. Those are just the five lighter ones that, um, that, that I found that are contradictions or even outright lies that churches will tell you and still keep people roped into that thinking. The next one, we're, the next five are probably going to be the most controversial of the of of all ten. But you know, we're here for. If you're a believer, you're supposed to be about the truth, not about um, nonsense. So let's stick to the truth. So if you do a search in the Bible for uh, the phrase uh, "feet like brass," you'll see that descriptions come up in Revelation and in Daniel that talk about uh, a description of Jesus and of God and what do you know it turns out God's dark-skinned Jesus is dark-skinned if you're gonna believe it's Jesus in both places either way if you're gonna believe it's in, in Revelation it's directly saying son of man and Jesus but here you see how it describes him physically his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Uh, again, and to the angel of the church of Theotera, these things sa says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Brass is not pale or pink at all. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms like 
and feet like burnished bronze in color. One of the few places the Bible even discusses skin color. And it makes a point to discuss, us, discuss it here and let us know it's describing uh, Daniel's vision of, of apparently a heavenly vision of God or maybe Jesus in heaven or somehow this is God. And uh, if you read in Daniel, it's God he's talking about. Um, so that's not white. Um, I saw still another mightily angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud. So again and again, you can see where it, the descriptions are uh, brass, it's, which is not pink. It, or it's not white. It's brown. It's light brown. It's golden brown. It's not white. Not that race matters to me, but it's so that you know that churches will lie to you. But even if that's not enough to convince you, you can read further descriptions of what it says Jesus actually physically looked like when it describes his hair, which absolutely sounds like definitely not white. It says his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. And but if you read back in uh, Daniel, I watched till thrones were put in place, were put in place, and ancient of days, which shows that clearly there is aging in a spiritual body, was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Sounds like an afro to me. Whether it's an afro for a black person or a Jewfro for a Jewish person, that's not straight blowing in the wind, stringy hair. That's woolish. That's fluffy. That's a fro. His uh, throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels of burning fire. Um, so that's Daniel's vision of Jesus or God as we believe him to be. And that's the Old Testament. So again, he's not white. Uh, you may want to believe it, but he's not white. It does. It clearly says he's not white. It, he's, it, he's not. So that's one. And like I said, it's going to be controversial. If you aren't willing to accept the truth, but it gets even more controversial if you think about what the Bible says, uh, what churches will tell you about uh, weed, marijuana, for instance, uh, you know, specifically. And they'll, for, they'll think, put all their all their feelings about marijuana on what God says and put words in God's mouth. But when it, it actually turns out that God says, again, if you go all the way back to the very beginning, and God said, see, I've given you every green herb. I've given you every herb that you'll see, which is on the face of all the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food, a vegetarian diet. But not just that, every green herb. And in case you don't know it, marijuana is called herb because it is an herb. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. So, again, believe what you want to believe, but don't put words in God's or Jesus' mouth. Clearly here, weed is not a, a devil's invention. It's one of the things God gave us to use, to eat, to consume. And if you don't want to smoke it, you there are edibles. So you could still eat that herb, as just like it says here. But the point is, don't let churches just twist the truth and twist their dogma around your neck and hang you up in things that get you caught up that you shouldn't even be caught up in. So that's just uh, that's the seventh one. So it only gets even heavier from there. Um, if the eighth thing that churches will lie to you about is, believe it or not, heaven, they'll tell you um, um, uh, all of different things about heaven. And this person's gone to heaven, that person's going to hell, and all of that stuff. But it turns out, Jesus says, no one has gone to heaven. And don't take my word for it. Go to John chapter 3, and you see it, verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Meaning, Jesus. That's the only one. I mean, and maybe since Jesus' appearance and crucifixion, the... The gates have been open and more people have been admitted. But Jesus is saying clearly up until this point, up until his coming, up until the mission he arrived to perform, no one, uh, meaning not Adam, not Eve, not anyone has made it to heaven. No one. And churches may try to lie to you and say, oh, your, your loved one is resting in heaven. Like I said, maybe they are since all of this has already been accomplished. But Jesus himself, it's in red, is making it clear that up until his coming, no one had actually made it into heaven. No one. I'm, there's no other way around that, even though churches will lie to you about it. 
So now we go to we make it to the top two things that churches will lie to you about, and they are extremely controversial. But again, are you going to worry about what people think? Or are you going to worry about what God says? So the first one is about homosexuality. Churches will, uh, you know, they'll demonize homosexuality left, right, and sideways, and they'll use verses like these: "Where you shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination." And there's a laundry list of them in the Old Testament, and then Paul picks up some and throws them in in the New. Um, but it turns out that's not what Jesus said. And of course, like I said, you're entitled to believe what you want to believe and try and live by the Old Testament and the New. But why burden yourself with bondage when it turns out if you're a Christian, you have an out, you have an option because these are not the teachings of Jesus. None of them are in red. But if you do want to see what Jesus says about homosexuality or even not even homosexuality, but a male lying with the man as they would with the woman, as it says here, it turns out. Jesus has no problem with that, and you don't have to take my word for it. If you go to Luke 17:34, we'll scroll down and see for yourself. Jesus is telling us about a prophetic vision of the end times and the end of the world as we know it, and what it'll be like when he comes again, what we call the second coming. He tells us here, just after talking about Sodom and Lot's wife and all that, and we know what's tied to Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole thought of demonizing homosexuality yet it turns out after jesus talks about sodom and lot's wife who was lost on the exit from sodom it turns out what he says about in the end times <clears throat> excuse me i tell you in that night there will be two men in one bed that lets us know homosexual relationship a same-sex relationship however you want to whatever tickles your ear easiest it lets you know two people of the same sex are in the same bed and what, what does he say? The one will be taken and the other will be left. Uh, clearly not both going to hell if you're believing that that's where one's going to be taken to or left in. One is going to be saved and one is not. And so it doesn't matter that they're, having, that they're lying in bed with another man. It doesn't matter. That Old Testament stuff, if you want to hold on to it, feel free. But it's not what Jesus says. And he goes further. He says two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. So that's even more explicit letting us know that just like the two men are lying in bed together, which we know socially is not something, it has a social implication. It did then and does now. So he's letting us know that's not what's going to bar you from heaven. That's not what's going to send you to hell. That's not what your salvation is based on. And yet, church after church after church will never preach this verse. Never touch this passage. Never let people know the door is open to salvation to whomsoever will. Even if you sleep with other, even if you're male and you sleep with other men, or your feet, a woman and you sleep with other, grind with other women. However you want to look at it, you can hold on to what condemns and excludes, or you can embrace what accepts and includes. It's a choice. Um, so that's like the number nine thing, and the tenth one, probably the most, con probably the most controversial of them all, is um, about transgender people. And cross-dressing and the like. You know people will condemn that. You know, transgender people, particularly transgender people, black transgender people like myself, are the number one most targeted for hate crimes in the world, in the United States. And even more discriminated against than all the other demographics of people, uh, whether it be old people, Jews, women, blacks, Latinos, all combined. Even gay people combined, transgender people, particularly black transgender people, are the most targeted for all of that. And it turns out churches, people who call themselves holy and religious, will use verses like this to help back up their hate. Uh, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, or shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord. So we have this in Deuteronomy, Old Testament, and there are other verses, Leviticus, and they go into the same subject, but they'll skip over what Jesus actually says. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says in Luke that um, that's not what it's about either. He, if you scroll down to Luke, let's go down to, or is it chapter, here we go, chapter 12. Oh, I'm sorry, Luke 12, chapter 20, Luke chapter 12, I'm sorry, uh, verse 22, this passage. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, 
what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on, clothing. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So he's letting us know there, it's not about what you put on your body either. Your body, your life is, doesn't have anything to do with the designer clothes you wear or what gender of the clothes you wear. But then just to, to hammer the point home, that just how twisted churches will use the Bible and skip over what Jesus says, what the Bible says, and just preach what they want you to know. Look at the beginning. Go back even to the beginning if you don't want to embrace what Jesus says. At the very beginning of the Bible when it talks about the creation of man. We'll go to Genesis. Let's see. Oh, one. Here we go. This is the very beginning. Like, it, if you're a believer, this is the beginning. Uh, so, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, it's saying here, uh, you could read over it, but it's saying that the creations at the beginning were created both male and female, as in hermaphrodites, which actually line, aligns with a lot of what we know biologically about um, all sorts of different uh, species. Very few, well, there's only a few, but there are hermaphrodite hermaphroditic uh, species of uh, of life on the earth. Like a worm, for instance, is able to produce asexually. Having both male and female parts doesn't need to have sex to reproduce. So it would make sense that if truly Adam was the first creation, that he would be um, hermaphroditic, having both parts. Because if you read further. How else could how else could um, you uh, give birth otherwise? How else could you procreate otherwise? But just uh, to be sure, if we read further in Genesis, also um, verse two, and go down to verse five, it lets us know here that just so you don't think that he already created men and women at that point where it says he created the male and female, you see here where it says this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground so that lets us know here a couple of things that there was no man yet just like it just said so that lets us know those creatures created at the beginning just now we read before Genesis 2 before this passage that were created male and female are not the same creations that he's talking about that we're reading about here I believe those creations were probably the angelic cherub seraphim those sort of creatures I believe those entities I think that's what the first creation those male and female in the image of God I think that's what uh, was created there in one in Genesis 1 since again there's no man created yet by the time we get to Genesis 2 but then to hammer the point home to buttress that argument if you read further in Genesis also well, I think it's Genesis let me see yeah it is Genesis if we read a little further down that um, after he created um, Adam male and female not just male, a hermaphrodite. Uh, we go a little further, and where is it? I think it's 21. Let's see. Okay, so yeah, we have here Adam naming all the creatures, and here we go. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So this tells us a lot of things that churches will read over also, that clearly Adam himself was hermaphrodite. He was part male and part female. Otherwise, how could the female be taken out of him? And I think physical proof of this is most males, if you look between our legs, um, in the what's it, the perineum, that area between the anus and the testicles, there is a line going up between, sort of sealing the two halves of your body. At least on me, it's like that. On just about every guy I've ever seen has that same thing. It seems to me more likely that that's where, and that's the where the female part would go also. It seems to me that's the part where the that separated the female from the male in Adam. And that part is pure speculation, but it sort of makes sense if you think about it biologically. Like I said, with the hermaphroditic reproduction, asexually. But it makes sense if you look at your physical body, how 
the rest of your body doesn't have a line passing through it like that. Um, but women have a line passing through them in that area. It's open. And men, males have a line passing through us that same way. And it's closed. Just like it says here, the area of the flesh was closed. Um, so we could believe what we want. But the Bible it says many different things that um, people in churches just don't teach or preach or believe or explore or even willing to open their minds to. But it's still there. So that, um, oh, that's the top 10 list. If you'd like to join me to read further and explore more about what the Bible actually says about things, join me for the Naked Truth. We'll be doing our regular reading in just a moment um, if you have the time. Or you can check out the collections area here on Twitch of past readings while they last. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my website, hungtgirl.com, hungtgirl.com, sorry. Click yes, and you'll be taken into the adult area. You can click on the pictures. They're actually free videos. Um, you can explore the links on the left about my body, mind, and soul. And uh, you can check out the Living Water Chapel page to see what the Bible says more specifically about these different topics and when we read over them. Or you can join me again for our Matt and Mark Mondays where we go over those Gospels, or John Luke Wednesdays, where we go over those Gospels. Thank you so much. Stay safe. God bless you. And please love your neighbor as you love yourself by wearing a mask and washing your hands. Stay safe. Peace.